Before we get started for this week's show, we'd like to thank you all for tuning in with a special shout out to those who support us on Patreon. From just $2 US a month as a Patreon, you can access extended podcasts and other bonus content and keep an eye out at EmergingCricket.com and our various social channels and make sure to give us a five-star rating and if you can, a review wherever you are listening to the show. On today's show, we catch up on news around the world, preview day three of the Vanuatu T10 Blast, hear from Craig White with news from Mexico and we have part one of our special with German Cricket Federation CEO, Brian Mantle. Thank you once again for joining us at the Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm Daniel Beswick and with me are my two co-hosts. First up in Brisbane, Tim Cutler. Tim, how's things? Another week. Um, good to have some cricket to watch. That's been exciting. Um, I'm going to use that as my excuse for not being as active as I as I should be. And pants that were getting looser are now uh, less in need of a belt, Daniel. But um, <laughs> how are you? Good. I caught up and, and watched all the action in Vanuatu over the weekend. We'll get into that in a moment. But things are good. Yeah, from, from a similar point of view, got some training in. Uh, soccer team here is just about to start up with organized training. So I'll be out, uh, able to go out and uh, see all the boys again for, for a run around. So that's been good. Plenty of Vanuatu action, as I said, we'll talk about in a second. But before we do that, time to introduce the third member of the team, better known on Twitter as Copernicus Cricket, Nick Skinner. Nick, how's life? Yeah, not too bad. Um, been having a good time going through some old highlights from the 2003 World Cup. I'm working on uh, a podcast about Namibia's time there, which, uh, which is shaping up nicely. And yeah, just watching... JB Berger smashing the English around and Glenn McGrath knocking them all over like Skittles. But yeah, a lot of fun going through the, the old footage. Yeah, I think for me that 2003 World Cup might have been the kind of introduction to associate cricket in a way. It was on at a good time here in uh, Australia in the, in the night games. And yeah, I remember that Australian-Namibia fixture was probably a little bit more one-sided than we all would have liked. But you know, looking back, it, it, it was probably the inspiration to get into associate cricket. And I remember being young enough where a lot of my friends couldn't pronounce Namibia without, you know, getting tripped up and calling it Namibia and stuff like that, which is a memory that I look back and, and think, well, we've all been to Namibia now and, and seen the place and it was amazing. But yeah, without that 2003 World Cup, who would have thought a little bit further on we'd be so deep into a associate cricket, the three of us, as are many of you at home listening or wherever you are listening. So let's get straight into the show and a few news points to discuss before we do get into some Vanuatu T10 Blast action and some other stuff. First, we should talk about a few movements at the ICC. And Matt Featherston of Brazil has been re-elected as the global representative of the non-voting associate members to ICC's development committee. He's done some excellent work at Brazil. We have seen and discussed in previous podcasts. And he was elected by Dipanka Sengupta of Mozambique, Mohamed Afla of the Maldives, Faisal Khan of the Philippines, and Andrew Armitage of Finland. Uh, Tim, it might be a good time here to explain how a lot of this goes on in terms of the development committee and Featherston's role as someone who's been involved as a, as a CEO of an international cricketing member of the ICC. Uh, how does this all play out and how will it play its part in the development of the game? Yeah, this is a very important position uh, that Matt takes up. 
Um, now, everyone listening will recall we used to have affiliate members alongside associates and full members of the ICC, but that is no longer the case. A few years ago, the ICC scrapped the affiliate membership and had only full members and associates. But what happened to those former affiliate members? They became non-voting associate members. So whilst they are represented and Matt being one of those at ICC annual general meetings, etc., they don't have a vote in the board whereas the original associates do. So all five regions of the ICC, Asia, East Asia, Pacific, Europe, Africa, and the Americas have a representative of the the non-voting members, and then they vote to have their representative. So that development committee is right up there with all the other committees of of the ICC to decide basically how they're going to grow the game um, and also the structure of the events that go all the way down, whether it's T20 World Cup qualification or underage tournaments. So I chatted to Matt, I think, briefly when Brazil had introduced the contracts for the the women's team um, which was was great news a couple of months ago saying geez it's, it's really interesting to be on the on the inside of some of these meetings and to see the, the um the concerns and challenges that are facing the sport and i think you'd be a great guy to get onto the podcast and and not only because i have a not tenuous a pretty strong connection um with matt in that he used to play cricket back in kent uh, in the uk and not only he but i and also a guy that i worked with in the marine insurance world all lived or played cricket in the same suburb there in, in gravesend and Northfleet in kent so there's this weird little small world connection to all of us but uh, like you said he's done some great work down there in brazil tens of thousands of kids playing the game now and well, I think one of the first nations to uh, lead the charge with women only as uh, full f- contracted players before the men. But everything the ICC giveth, they taketh away, boys. We've seen uh, another news piece come out from the ICC, or at least murmurs surrounding the ICC, in that Surav Ganguly has become a dark horse to replace his countryman, Shashank Manoa, as the outgoing ICC chairman. Now, the ECB's Colin Graves is another person whose name has been thrown up into the mix, but Nick, it, it just seems like every step the ICC move forward with, there's always a step back and we always seem to find ourselves in the same spot. I mean, how troublesome can it be if someone who is running the BCCI is now potentially going to run the ICC? And we knew things were going to be a little bit tricky with Manawa at the helm, but now we have potentially Ganguly at the helm and someone who's worked in the BCCI, gained a lot of connections in the BCCI and probably wanting to profit the BCCI and India. How do you think this plays out for emerging members? Because at least on the face of it, it doesn't look that promising. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things going on. And Ganguly, by all accounts, is a very competent politician and I mean to be top of the BCCI you've got to be good at politics but in terms of going into the ICC chairman position you know his rhetoric coming out of the BCCI has been very aggressive in terms of uh, you know redirecting ICC funding and and getting another a bigger share for India and that's his job as you know representing the BCCI is to get as much as possible for the BCCI the problem is going from that directly into the ICC seems like a pretty big conflict of interest and you know theoretically the chairman is an independent position at the ICC but you know when you have people who are current administrators from one country jumping into the chairmanship of the ICC it, it looks like there's definitely a lot of potential for them to you know exploit that position to benefit you know the, the board that they came from and uh, whether Ganguly does that or whether he um, even gets the job, we don't know. 
but you know, the fact that the ICC uh, chairmanship is basically sort of handed around to ex-administrators from major full member countries, um, <laughs> I mean, only recently was it changed to being a, a theoretically at least independent position, but it, it just goes to show the, the structural weakness of the ICC board where it is very much the full members driving the ICC at a policy level and what the ICC might want to do is, is often hampered by the fact that the full members are sort of pulling in a different direction. Well, let's not forget that, you know, like you mentioned, the chairman position, the chair, I guess it be male or female, position is independent. Shashank Manahar came into it as president of the BCCI, resigned from that position so he could take up the new independent position of within the ICC. And I've got to say, he's been a bigger advocate for the, the game, for the game's sake, rather than for India. So if we take that as an example of someone stepping into the void, at least of a new position there to represent the game as best as possible. But he wasn't quoted on coming onto the board of the BCCI getting their quote-unquote fair share when they already get 20 cents of every dollar that's distributed to global creating nations. So again, there's a hopeful outlook that whoever sits in that seat is going to be there for cricket's sake. But from an institutional point of view and, and the ICC acting in the, in the game's good, I guess that's one point of view, but also there's an individual coming in that has made it very clear that for the moment anyway, and in his position he should, as, as you did rightly say, he's only looking out for his country's interests. But geez, it's, a, it's a funny one, isn't it, for, to be saying that one day and then all of a sudden to hand a hat, hat back and go for an independent position and completely change your outlook. It does seem a very difficult thing to do. And given the, the circumstances that we live in as a society in 2020, there are a lot of decisions that will they'll have a huge, huge bearing on, on how cricket moves forward in, in the wake of it. And looking at potentially uh, the ODI Super League and other things being adjusted and the ICC actually using COVID as a bit of an excuse for all that when in actual fact if things change from July and we have someone new at the helm whether or not these decisions go through and we do see changes uh, from the cycle that we were about to get and for teams like the Netherlands who have been on the precipice of competing at higher levels you know if, if they are to have their chance taken away from them with the scapegoat being COVID then I hope that the people out there and, and us and a lot of the, the other associate cricket fans and, and critics will understand that these decisions may not be made because of COVID, but rather in, in spite of it and, and with ulterior motives underneath. So look, I'm hoping that the things turn out okay in that regard and, and we can only speculate for now. So when we do get some more news, we here at Emergent Cricket will give you all the news and reflections of that. Let's move on to the Vanuatu T10 Blast. Two match days down, we saw the MT Bulls almost throw away any chance of a final spot, only to take a last gasp victory in the second game on the Saturday. But Nicholas, it's your mighty Afate Panthers who have taken the early lead. The Ethera Sharks, your team, Tim, they get two bites of the cherry this weekend in this Saturday's games. But Josh Razu, he's pretty much carried the team on his back, as well as Wesley Vera, Nick, but he's been probably the MVP of the tournament thus far. Yeah, he had a pretty good series um, a little bit before coronavirus shut down <laughs> um, international cricket. Vanuatu played a, a T20 series against Malaysia, and he made a couple of 50s and 
was hitting it really big and, and he's continued that. He's been really good at clearing the front leg and, and swinging through the line. And it's interesting to see, this is something Vanuatu, you know, a lot of these associate countries, they have the power hitting skills. Um, you know, they don't always have the consistency, but they, they have the skills. And Josh Razu is an example of that in, in his ability to just absolutely smash it. And uh, Bez, I know you've watched um, pretty much all of this. I mean, as much as we could, uh, the the stream had some issues. But well, how would you describe Rasu's bowling? It's it's sort of this hustling spin stuff. It's not exactly a classical off break, but it does turn into the right hander. It's, there's actually been a couple of players in the tournament that have shown quite a lot of nous in their spin bowling, and I think. The wicket there, the hybrid surface, and we'll probably discuss it a little bit uh, later on. But yeah, there are a couple of players there who do show quite a lot of nous bowling their their off breaks and their finger spin. And yeah, Razu, yeah, as you as you said, probably not your classical off spin bowling, but. Yeah, he seems to get results, and look, the, the numbers next to his name are, are, are brilliant. Um, looking at, at some of the other players, I think it's Apollinaire Steven bowls off breaks as well, and he actually has um, a Dusra, one that sort of goes the other way, and I thought that's quite intriguing, and, and for someone to have those tricks in their kit bag and, and playing on that tacky surface of the VCG, as, as Shane Dietz puts it, I, I, it was great to see those skills, and I think that second game on Saturday was a showcase of just how good everything can be in associate cricket. We saw a team chase down a 13 and over score. There was great batting, great bowling. And, and in the field, Macmillan Markia almost pulled off one of the greatest catches I've ever seen at any level of cricket. But mm-hmm. the atmosphere and the tension you could feel even through the stream was great and, and it was great to watch. And, you know, that was the type of entertaining sport that people have been starving for. And you're not going to get that level of, of tension and, and closeness in many other places. And especially in cricket sometimes where we see blowouts but in associate cricket you're not going to get many uh, moments better than that Raval Sampson probably one of the best names in the in the competition and Darren Wartu at the end um, they finished off a, a pretty good job from my MT Bulls keeping themselves in the tournament <laughs> um, I wanted to bring up Patrick Mataltava's name Nicholas because I know that he has struggled a little bit in his first three games of the tournament not making a score of note and when he did look like he was about to get going in that second game on Saturday I think he put one over the stand or at least for a big six out to cow corner he got out I think it was the next ball and well he arguably shouldn't have been out because the ball looked to have pitched outside leg stump he went to try the reverse sweep and got done LBW I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that because it does seem for him to go against the natural game it's something that I was kind of tearing my hair out looking at you know especially when the ball's pitched out outside leg stump just try and go again and put another one into the stands yeah I mean Mattel Tava there's one point I would make which is that he's he's a bit of a Shahid Afridi in that everyone sort of watches his batting waiting for him to go bang but I think his bowling is actually uh, the strongest skill you know he's oh it's silky isn't it yeah very crafty seam bowler and especially on that as you said the wicket it's just sticking a little bit isn't it and and I think that's I guess the clay and and the way they've sort of put the hybrid together. But his bowling is, I think, very underrated because he can go so big with the bat. Um, in terms of that dismissal, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, every batsman has a has a brain fade at times. But as you say, I, I think he probably should be concentrating on, on his strength, which is you know hitting big through that mid-wicket area. And he you know he's a really strong guy, and he can muscle it over the boundary, which, which we have seen quite a lot over his career. So I don't know if the little dinky shots is necessarily his strength and trying to introduce that into his repertoire. I mean, I, I guess that he's, you know, it's good that he's trying to develop as a batsman, but I don't know. 
Well, the thing to bear in mind here as well is that I know that these guys have played international cricket, or a lot of them have played international cricket before. They're going to know that people are watching this around the world. And if I'm Patrick Matatava, I'm thinking this is my chance to get in the the eyes of recruiters and agents out there for my hitting for other T10 tournaments. Of course, there's Abu Dhabi T10 coming up and various others are popping up of their chances to get into to franchise cricket, which would be great for any of these players to, to get that chance. I know Patrick plays in Australia as, as well, but you just got to hope that they're able to put that to one side and concentrate on, I know it's a commonly used term these days, but executing those skills, those core skills that they've got, which I'd say for the likes of Shane Dietz and Simon Keane, et cetera, and the coaching team, that's probably the, the first time that they've had to talk to their players about this type of pressure. You know, whilst they've played internationally and for Vanuatu and, and on streams before, they've never known that this many people were going to be watching. So that's something to, to bear in mind. And it's not that he's there listening, but it doesn't help, you know, when Patrick goes into bat. And I think, um, I know DT is listening to this, but, you know, he says, oh, look, if he's in for five or six overs, this game's over. And as soon as that happens, it's like, no. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and you guys are saying that one pitched outside. I know, I know even the commentators are, I mean, are, you know, I, maybe it's the spinner in me but i i think i think it could of course it's a spinner in you (laughs) it's always out isn't it tim it's yeah (laughs) but isn't it great for us to be able to have these conversations about vanuatu domestic cricket and and a chance to see these players and and what's coming through and just shows that uh more tournaments like these were able to pop up and get this the exposure that they've been able to get just how the game could grow but uh that's my little final thought there but um yeah i've been really looking forward to watching patrick in these sort of situations so i hope he really starts to shine in these last couple of weekends yeah well it was wesley vera who played this straight drive picture perfect it was a half volley and he's just hit it straight back over the bowler's head for six and i thought no one in the world has the ability to replicate it at the moment because there's no other cricket going on in the world but god it was magnificent and i really enjoyed it that last over again you would struggle to find that finish to a game of cricket anywhere around the world let alone in associate circles Uh, To finish up this chat uh, before we do finally move on, just running through the table before we head into Saturday's fixtures, the Mighty Afate Panthers with three games played. They've won two and are on four points. Uh, The Afira Sharks have played just the two matches and won one. They get the double dip this Saturday, uh, one game against each of the other teams. And the MT Bulls, they've won just that one game, which basically resurrected their campaign, one would say. How do we feel about our teams, boys, before we head into match day three? Well, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about the Panthers, which as a, you know, following NRL and not being a Penrith fan feels a bit weird to say. But yeah, as we said, Josh Razu has been in great form, but Wesley Vera has also played a couple of really good hands, both with bat and ball. Hits it big, as you said, that that lovely uh, straight drive for six and, and he bowls some, some handy seam as well. Yeah, I, I think I'm pretty confident of them getting to the final. Well, there are three teams, so you got a pretty good chance. But, um, <laughs> well, the Sharkies, I know, have struggled with uh, some player availability. I know that not necessarily everybody turned up that should have, but, you know, like the mighty Cronulla Sharks, you know, nobody ever gives us a chance. <laughs> Just, you know, struggling down there in the Shire, squished between St. George and Illawarra, you know, or St. Merge as they're known to many. And um, look, I think we're going to come through strong, get into the final. You, you never know what can happen on finals day. But you mentioned before, Bez, and I'm not going to ask you about the about the Bulls because I know you're going to say that they are going to run away with it and, and take over the town. Just like... Uh, they rule this land. They rule this land. <laughs> but what do we think about the wicket? Because I think it's the first time I've seen this much cricket being played, well, any 
cricket being played on a hybrid wicket. And I know we talked about last week, but just reiterating, unlike any normal natural turf wicket, this actually has an artificial grass base and then has natural clay over the top, which is watered and rolled and then is able to be played on. So the thing about a, a normal cricket wicket is you play on it and it wears away, but it also wears away at the grass that's holding the, the pitch together. So the idea of this is you can keep playing on the same on the same deck. What do we reckon about the pitch? Well, I think Josh Razu also is one of the curators there, or at oh. least he helps out rolling the wicket. So there's a little bit of local knowledge <laughs> there and it looks like he knows what he's talking about. But I do not envy anyone opening the batting on that with the first match of the day there. The start of the, of the matches, it looked very, very difficult. And that first game on the Saturday, especially where a couple of kicked up off a length, even off the, the spin bowling, and it looks a little bit tacky. When it's just a little bit sticky, it's so hard as, as a player to know when to go through with the shot. And sometimes you're better off just not overthinking it and just looking to hit through the line of the ball. But at times it did look like it was very, very difficult. And it was so sticky that you basically had to go against every single inhibition that you have as a, as a batter and just wait that split second longer, which is very, very hard to do. And yet, I think there was one particular instance where I think it was Nala Nipikov taking an excellent catch at first slip, but the ball just kicked up and hit the shoulder of, of the opponent's bat. Nipiko just taking a, a, a specky of a catch for the Afira Sharks. But yeah, it does look a little bit tricky to, to get on. Uh, the second game probably showed more runs on the board that it is a little bit more batter friendly. But I think in the morning game or the first game, you probably want to try and bowl first and knock a team over uh, well as well as you can do in 10 overs and then try to chase down. The, the second game, I think it's probably a little bit more even keeled. But Nick, yeah, I'm interested to see what you think about it because it does look very tricky, especially early on. Yeah, as you said, it's been sort of sticking a bit at times, which it's interesting that that does kind of replicate a lot of the conditions they'll be coming up against in the Challenge League, especially at lower levels of associate cricket. The turf is often quite low and slow and, and not really coming on very well. So it, it, it'll sort of prepare them quite well. But conversely, it, it makes it a bit trickier for them when they do come up against higher ranked teams with, with maybe better facilities. They're maybe not used to the pitch actually being a bit better. And we've seen that with some associate countries in, in the past where when they got onto the better wickets, they sort of don't quite know what to do with them. And the batsmen sort of struggle. And even though they should be making hay... Yeah, I think you're right there, and it's going to be difficult, or at least a challenge for them to, to be preparing for these other wickets, and, and maybe it will play similarly. And that gets me thinking. You know, we talk about the future of cricket. T20 internationals are now allowed uh, and able to be played on on synthetic wickets, which means laying a con concrete strip or aggregate which is a little bit softer and has more give and the synthetic turf on top there isn't that much more work and, and expense that goes into creating one of these pitches and then there's a, there's a little bit of work on top but you don't need to curate or lay and curate an entire square i just wonder whether we're seeing the future of, of mm. cricket's growth and in international cricket here in a, in a hybrid wicket and i really do want to get shane onto the podcast to get an idea about how much one of these pitches costs to keep going in terms of the rolling and the, the, what way you need because I just wonder watching it you know whether international cricket and the lower levels especially the emerging levels would be better played on a wicket like this is a little bit tacky and batters need to wait and it's not just a 66666 as it can be on a synthetic so I think this is a great little little, little test and maybe a little proof of concept of how it could be used elsewhere in the world. We'll keep you up to date with news and events from the T10 Blast over the coming weeks at Emerging Cricket but for now here is part one of our chat with German Cricket Federation CEO Brian Mantle.
We are delighted to be joined by CEO of the German Cricket Federation, Brian Mantle. Brian, how are you? Yeah, good morning. I'm very well, thank you. And you? Good, good. I'm sure the boys here are just as excited as me uh, to discuss all things German cricket and the exponential rise of the sport in the country. Uh, First of all, and I'm sure this is a pretty typical question at the moment for a lot of people going around, how are you doing in terms of the situation of of COVID-19 and also how is the German Cricket Federation going about their business in the midst of this uh, pandemic? Well, I mean, we're still at the start of the summer, so we've still got uh, until the end of September, realistically, to be playing cricket. The board made a decision last week to scrap the 50-over tournament this year, which is our main tournament generally, um, and to focus only on T20 in in order to get as many people playing cricket as possible to keep the the enthusiasm for the sport. I mean, this is the biggest risk, I think, for small countries like Germany, is that you lose a lot of the interest from, let's say, part-time cricket players, and they go off and do something else because they haven't played for a long time. So the key is to get every Everybody playing cricket. We're still very optimistic. And, and our target is to be back playing the middle of June. So if that happens, and there's still a few you know, hoops to go through to be able to make that realistic, um, then we will have a, a three-month cricket season, lots of T20, a T20 champion, uh, a qualifier then for the, for the ECL next year, which of course is very important in German cricket at the moment. So at the moment, we're quite positive. The biggest problem has been obviously in terms of development and will continue to be because, I mean, we just started a, a concept for schools, but we're not going to be able to get into schools until after the summer. And uh, keeping young children interested, you know, it's something that, you know, we've prioritised and kids, that, you know, the age of 11, 12 can't pick up a cricket bat for, for six months. You know, it's not good for their development. That I see is the biggest worry for German cricket and probably the same in other countries as well. If the outdoor season is not possible, then, then we go indoors as soon as it is. I mean, there's a lot of indoor cricket play in the winter in Germany through necessity and we will just make an absolute you know a, bit, a bigger effort let's say on, on indoor cricket to keep people playing the game. Brian we're going to ask you some questions some deeper questions about developing the game further on but I'd just like to frame it for our audience a listen that might not know much about German cricket they've heard us talk about the game and the explosion in participation numbers there we, we know that Daniel Weston originally from Australia but uh, very much German these days and being based there and starting the European Cricket League there can you just tell us how many people are now playing cricket in Germany across seniors and juniors and how that has changed in the last decade? Well, probably go back 10 years and we had something like 70 teams, all of them expats. Uh, well, I say all of them, 95% of the players from cricket playing countries, probably like a lot of the associate countries around the world. And we played cricket because we loved the game. We were living in a foreign country. We all came together and had a game of cricket on a Sunday afternoon. Obviously, the best players played for the national team. We did well, then we didn't do well. And, and that was basically German cricket plodding along, not really growing, but having a good time, you know, enjoying the wonderful sport of cricket. We always had ideas to, to, to grow women's cricket, to grow youth cricket, to get more Germans involved. But then four years ago, the refugee crisis happened. Angela Merkel opened up the, the borders to refugees in Germany, something I'm, I'm, as a quasi-German, I'm, I'm very proud about what happened. And they let in over a million refugees, of which 180,000 of them were male Afghans, of whom probably every second one is a cricket fan. And um, we grew from from 70 teams to what we've got now is about 370 teams over a period of four years and there was a time uh, this story has been documented elsewhere 
there was a time when we were getting an inquiry almost on a daily basis from some refugee helper somewhere in Germany that said, you know, I've got a group of 12 Afghans who want to play cricket. So we had this incredible growth over a two, three year period. It's slowed down now over the last 12 months and it's more a question of being stable, but it, it, it changed our mentality. Obviously in terms of participation, we were getting noticed at ICC levels. People were seeing the statistics that we were putting in and they were growing at 30, 40% every year. But it also gave us the opportunity to be more ambitious at national team level. You know, a couple of the Afghans who, who came, used to play for Afghanistan. I mean, it's, it's well documented about Izatullah Davlatsa who used to open the bowling for Afghanistan. There's also a guy called Amir Mangal who was around the Afghan team who now plays for our national team. Um, and a lot of very talented, young, fit, dynamic Afghans of, of whom a lot of them are now qualifying to play for Germany. I think the, the last time we played, there were five Afghans in our squad or five ethnic Afghans. Of course, we see them as Germans now. And uh, it, it, it gave us the opportunity to be ambitious and to start thinking about maybe not just playing against some of the other continental cricket teams, but, you know, one day to maybe play against the big guns. And, uh, you know, our target is to get on the same field as the Netherlands and Scotland in the next 18 months or so and, and give them a competitive game. Not necessarily beat them the first time, but obviously, you know, to show them that we are there. Well, just... um. On this topic of you know club cricket and how it's grown you know at a, an astonishing rate over the last few years and you're having clubs sort of mushrooming everywhere and um, you've just had a new regional cricket federation, um, Sachsische Cricket Verband. Uh, how's how's my German? Saxony. <laughs> it's in Saxony. Yeah. Yes. So Saxony has joined the the regional. You tried, Nick. That's the main thing. <laughs> this is one of the languages that Nick doesn't yeah. speak. Um, what's what's the I guess the challenge on a logistical sort of administrative side of things? Um, you know, scaling up from, as you said, 70 clubs to, to meeting the demand for daily new teams trying to join leagues and increasing by a, an astonishing percent over such a short amount of time. I don't think it's administration. It's more a question of facilities and, and finances because these people who started to play cricket generally don't have a lot of money. So it's difficult for them to buy all the cricket clobber. They don't have their own helmets and they're sharing pads and just having a bat. The first ever refugee program I went to in, in a city called Bielefeld, I turned up with an old cricket and a ball and these eyes of these of these guys just lit up because they've been playing cricket with a tennis ball and a bat that they chiseled out of a piece of wood so that is obviously an issue is finance but also facilities you know we're talking about something like 80 new cricket clubs so 80 new locations um, and of course we can't in such a short space of time create 80 cricket grounds with sight screens and grass wicket wickets and even artificial wickets so there's been a lot of compromises there just to allow people to play cricket so you know we're playing on, on a field with with grass which is sometimes a little bit too long for cricket but we know that we found a supplier of carpets in Germany who's been producing coconut mats for the last two or three generations and exporting them all around the world for other countries to play cricket on. And he's in Germany. This guy is in the middle of Germany, doesn't even know what cricket is. <laughs> so we've probably bought 60 or 70 of those mats. We put them down on boards and, and we play cricket. It's not very beautiful, but it's a means to an end and it got, got people playing cricket. Now, though, the situation has changed. You know, we're not getting daily inquiries from clubs anymore. The Afghans and, and the refugees have settled in Germany. Some of them, you know, have permanent status here. And it's a question about improving those facilities obviously you know we're not talking about stadiums and uh, turf wickets yet but maybe moving from coconut mats to permanent artificial wickets and things like that and bit by bit improving those facilities and, and the infrastructure generally of German cricket which is you know basically was put together in 
in ad hoc manner in a very short space of time. It must have been very difficult to, to do that when the growth of cricket was largely exponential over that period. Now it's a case of, of consolidation, as you point out. Uh, a lot of people, when talking about German sport, talk about the idea of multi-sport clubs. To go back a little bit before perhaps asking the question about how multi-sport clubs would interact with cricket and cricket joining a lot of these multi-sport clubs, what's the idea of the of the German multi-sport club? And then to, to move further, how does cricket interact with with, with this idea because is that one way that, that cricket can build in certain parts of Germany because I'm sure that there are cities where, where clubs dominate and it might be a case of, of getting cricket into those clubs to, to build the profile of the sport there? Yeah, we're just about to announce a, a partnership with a sports association called DJK which is the sports wing of the Catholic Church in Germany which sounds very strange but this organisation has been in, in existence for over 100 years. They've got over 1,000 sports clubs all around the country. My my club in, in Essen, where I play, uh, is part of this association. It's an association that focuses on all sports, but more from a participation level and a fitness and, and a social aspect rather than the performance level. So there's not many Bundesliga clubs in any sport that come from this association. But these these clubs have basically they have the administration in place. So they have all of the uh, legal documents that a club needs to be a member of the DCB or to be a member of any sports association. But they also have the infrastructure. They have access to sports centres, to sports clubs. Sometimes they have land, they have money and they have connection also to the German sports sector, to, to, to all of the, the big administrators within German sport, which we don't have as a very small sport here. So we're going to get a full-time employee who is going to start on the 1st of June, and her job is going to be to set up new cricket departments in these clubs up and down the country. The target is is 40 by the end of next year. And it, it, it sounds very simple, but it is that simple. We look on the map, we look where there isn't a cricket club, we find a, a sports club that is interested in having another department to get new members and we go and start a cricket team and it really is that simple in some cities especially if there's a university in that city with Indian and Pakistani students refugees from Afghanistan they're all over the place and, and we hope to, to get another boost through this it starts next month and um, obviously COVID has put a little bit of a spanner in the works there as well but you know we're, we're going to get on with it regardless Well we've uh, we've well, talked a little bit about you know the immigrant stories and, and how that's um, given cricket a, a major boost talk to us a little bit about how cricket on the I guess social side of things has helped these um guys and they are primarily men to find roots in the country as it's difficult being a, a young bloke you know without family and support networks and I guess cricket has sort of provided that a bit for them. Well it wasn't just that they didn't have that network they didn't have anything to do when they arrived they had very little money um, the German government gave them a roof over their head gave them some food in their belly but that's not enough for a young man you know with lots of energy he wasn't allowed to work he, maybe he had German lessons but he had no no centre in his life so he comes to cricket training once a week in the summer, he plays his game on a Saturday and Sunday, and that gave that person some some meaning to their life, some direction. It gave them, you know, a social network. It gave them friends. It gave them the opportunity to meet people who've maybe been in Germany a little bit longer. So they they learned a little bit about what it's like to live in this country and, and and to get some sort of footing in their life here. So the biggest impact is we made a lot of these people happy. We made them feel you know comfortable in this country. Obviously, doing something which is not naturally and and, and not normally a German pastime. And seeing that they have been able to put down roots and whether it's by connecting with people who've been there longer learning German or being able to I hope now settling into jobs and looking at relationships and families and, and integration how is that translated for for cricket are you seeing a high churn rate of these players that may have been very focused on their cricket when they first arrived in Germany but are now dropping off or how are you seeing that in terms of participation numbers 
that that was obviously our big risk and our big danger is obviously as people you know go to work have families they 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 leave cricket our statistics our participation statistics are pretty stable at the moment so we're not seeing it but it is something that we you know we're being very careful about trying to make it as interesting as possible to play cricket here and also for for those that do drop off and there will be quite a few of them um looking for new people you know to play the game so it it is a risk it is a risk I'll just follow up there as well I think you know there's so much chat in the associate world about passport players about expats etc and I guess it's um, my question is more is a deeper question from inside Germany looking at these young men that have, have made their home in Germany and playing cricket how has that been received within the the broader German community and how how has that changed or improved the the viewpoint of cricket as a sport I think a lot of people look to the German football team which is made up of I mean half of the players over the last 10 15 years have been people from other nations in maybe their second or third generation here so lots of Turkish people um, Arabian people Africans playing for Germany probably like every other country in Europe so that is always the the argument why should cricket be any different I think it's like everything connected to immigration in in any Western country. There are people who think it's great that these people have come here and actually spend their time representing Germany, you know, the country that they've chosen to, to, to make their home. There are other people who obviously don't see it as a German national team. From the outside perspective, this argument that, that not just Germany hears, but other countries about, well, they're not really German, are they? It's only Asians playing the game. I, I ask myself whether these people have considered what we're trying to do here. You know, cricket is not a German sport. I mean, there was a lot of cricket before the Second World War. But, you know, when I came to Germany, I didn't know that there was any cricket for two years. I lived here for two years without even considering the possibility that there would be cricket here. You know, we're starting from more or less zero. There is very little interest in cricket from the German population. And we are trying to do that and if you look at how cricket has developed over the centuries it's exactly how it happened in 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 asia when the english took cricket to their colonies they told them they've got to play cricket uh, and the indians and the pakistanis and the bangladeshis all got interested in cricket and made it into their number one sport the same happened obviously in in australia and the west indies and everywhere that's learned cricket they've always learned it from another country and here we have asian people bringing a sport a big sport with with a big funding behind it from the icc bringing it to a country like Germany and trying to infect Germans um, with, 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 with this I nearly said with this virus that's probably not the right word at the moment <laughs> um, Topical Definitely not No, there, there are puns to use that's probably not the one at the moment uh, No, it's probably not but it's it, it's the only way to grow a sport we are a minor sport in Germany and everybody has to understand that and we're trying as, as like missionaries let's say to, to convince Germans that this is the sport that they should play what else are we supposed to do if we want to compete on, on the international stage and I'm, I'm sure we'll come on to that in a minute it's the only way to do it at this level we can't go out and get 11 germans who've never picked up a cricket bat and say come and play cricket for germany we're trying with all of our power and with with investment to get more germans young germans but also adult germans to play cricket we've got a few concepts there that we're putting into place or hoping to put into place this year but we can't expect these people to be in the majority immediately and that's the same all over the world in cricket at least Paul, why are you talking about that? Can you talk more about those programs? I know you mentioned that you had a school program ready to go um, that's been put off until until next year. What are the plans for the DCB to take it mainstream and to move it away from being seen as a, as a foreign sport? Well, I think mainstream is a little bit overambitious. We're, we're looking to get schools to play cricket and, and we think we've got a few advantages. You know, one of those advantages is that cricket is seen by Germans as being a little bit quick.
quirky, a little bit uh, eccentric, exotic, I think is the word that's often used. And it's an opportunity for a school to profile itself. So if a school offers cricket, even if it's just as part of their PE lessons or as an after school club, it's just something that makes that school stand out maybe from, from their competitors. And schools in Germany are usually competitors with each other. They're fighting for kids. They're fighting for pupils. The other fact is that obviously cricket with the, um, we sell it as the gentleman's sport with the spirit of cricket, learning good behavior, you know, not arguing with the referee or the umpire uh, and the fact that it's also English and uh, you can use English which obviously German kids want to do they want to improve their English I think these are USPs that cricket has so we are going or we're hoping to go as soon as the virus is gone to something called in German Sportlehrertag Sportlehrertag means basically a sports teacher workshop and there's about 25 of these held all over Germany where sports teachers have a workshop for two or three days and they learn new things and we're going there together with a new concept that the ICC has brought in called the entry level program which is a ready-made plan of eight lessons on cricket and we're hoping that the sports teachers will take that up and uh, we will obviously accompany them we'll send coaches to the first lessons of the last lesson organize a few workshops and, and maybe a few small you know quick cricket tournaments at the end of this and build a bridge to our clubs and all the plans are in place and then and then a virus arrives that's basically been our, our big issue it's always a way isn't it best laid plans and, and all that talking about schools and school school programs i know in in some countries, sport is a very school-focused endeavour. Uh, where in the Netherlands, as a uh, on the contrary, there's no sport played in the schools whatsoever. We've heard Cambo talk about that. How how does that relate from a German point of view? Are, are there opportunities to have champion schools or schools that are seen as cricket schools, or likewise with the universities and colleges in the US, certain sports finding unis that don't have a famous baseball program or a football program and, and rowing going after those universities? Are those? Um, I know there are sort of long-term plans for all these things but is that an opportunity in Germany? Not really I think for the reasons that you mentioned in that sport is seen in German schools as a, as a scientific subject so it's all about fitness and nutrition and uh, looking after yourself and it's not about competitive sports so this typical let's say British or Australian thing where school cricket teams play against each other or football teams or whatever just doesn't really exist here. All of this happens at club level so it's very important that if we're getting into the schools and giving people their first taste of cricket that there is a bridge built to, to the clubs and clubs where they can play competitive cricket as, as often as possible. It's a very difficult thing to do, but the schools don't play against each other in any sport, even in football or, or hockey or typical German sports. It just doesn't happen. So, you know, you've, you've had this big boost from immigration and, you know, we're talking about your, um, you know, Germany's attempts to get, you know, German-born cricketers and if not mainstream, at least um, some level of growth within I don't want to go down the path of saying real Germans, but I guess, yeah, German-born cricketers. What are the, you know, plans to get the local growth to make it sustainable? Because, you know, you've got this big influx of adults playing the game, but where's the next generation coming from? And I guess, how are you going to move cricket away from being something that immigrants play for, you know, a taste of home to feel comfortable and moving it into something that a random German guy or girl could just say, oh, yeah, I'll play cricket. And it's not a very strange foreign thing for them. It, it is a very strange foreign thing. I mean, if you get an, an adult German comes and um, plays his first game of cricket, let's say a 25-year-old male German wants to play cricket, joins a team, there's a chance that he could be batting 
against a bowler who used to play for Afghanistan. So that's obviously very difficult. Um, the other thing is what a lot of, let's say, Western people expect from sport. You know, I'm talking about English people, Australians as well, but also Germans, is that sport is connected very much to basically a beer and a sausage. And that means that after the game, if you're playing handball, for example, the handball club where my children play, you know, after the game, somebody gets a crate of beer and everybody sits in the changing room and shares a beer. And we don't have that in German cricket. Mm. You know, there's other things which are very, very interesting. I mean, we always get a good biryani, which is which is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. But a German will always feel that he's arrived in a different country if he goes to, to some of our cricket games. So we're looking to have social cricket events. Again, we had this all in place before the virus came. Um, so Friday evenings in the, in, in, in the middle of summer, we get everybody to turn up, men, women, young people, somebody's got the barbecue on, somebody's got a crate of cold beer, and we just play cricket, just basically for the hell of it, just playing cricket with loose rules, you know, eight aside, six aside, whatever, to enjoy that part of it, and then bit by bit, maybe move these people up to the next level. That's obviously, you know, about getting Germans involved, adult Germans. We hope by the, the youth programs that we already have in place and the programs that we're going to introduce in the near future to get more at, let's say, under 15, under 13 level. And and we were doing very, very well on that up until um, until five or six years ago. And then obviously we were swamped by so many people from outside of Germany. But to get that up to 50%, indigenous Germans, and I don't like that word either, but um, uh, to get to, to get that up. And then, and then obviously we can grow. We've got to find a new brand, I think, for that. We're not, not to use the words indigenous, native or expats to basically move, move things away because it's how so many of those words are just used almost in a derogatory sense generally when we're talking about associate cricket, isn't it? Well, yeah, and that's what I was saying before. That annoys me a little bit. But we, you know, at the DCB and in German cricket, and I'm sure it's the same elsewhere, we, we don't make a difference between anybody from wherever they come from. A cricket player is a cricket player. And we're, you know, we don't ask when a new club, a new club contacted us yesterday. And uh, we don't ask them if they're Sri Lankans or Pakistanis or Afghans. They just come and they play cricket. But it is an issue. If we are to, 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 to grow this game long term, we have to get more Germans playing cricket. It's probably the most difficult part of the job, to be honest. I know Bez is going to get on to the, the women's game game shortly but you're talking about the DCB and the German Cricket Federation how many employees and active uh, volunteers do you have under your control um, if we're talking about today then it's zero <laughs> it's basically just me we have a very active board who are more or less employees because uh, at least a couple of them you know work more or less full time so our president is retired and works probably more hours than you could ever expect an employee to to work um, the same with our new um, board member for, for grassroots he's all over the place every day, all day, every day. We've just hired literally last week two full full time employees, one for more administrative role and one for development, together with this program that I just talked about. And they will start in the next few weeks. So then there will be three of us. This is obviously a, a, a bit of a bugbear for Germany. Germany is an expensive country, so with the with the funding that we get, it's very difficult to find employees and to pay them. Whereas maybe in other countries in the world who get similar funding to Germany, you know, for, for the cost of one full time coach, you can probably get thirty or forty full time coaches. So it's a little bit difficult for us we have to therefore rely on volunteers as you said so you know of those 150 clubs that we've got probably 25 30 of them are very active in developing cricket you know with women with youth and we rely on on, on the good nature of people who, who share in the vision to you know bring something to Germany that probably never belonged here and, and to try something new so as I said depending on on people with energy and ideas to coach to administer, to umpire and do things like that. You know, we're very much an amateur organization at the moment. 
Uh, you talked a bit about playing some indoor cricket, and I know in Denmark they do quite a lot of indoor cricket uh, in the winter because in in you know in the European winter there's there's not a lot to do and you know it's cold and miserable. So how important, I guess, is uh, indoor cricket to your you know overall development strategy? It's massively important because um, well, basically our calendar is is the outdoor season starts at the beginning of April, goes to the end of September, October and November. Not much happens because people are a little bit fed up. They want to go and do other things, and and then I don't know, end of November, December, people start to get a bit itchy, and the teams go into the halls, and you know, there's tournament after tournament after tournament until the the outdoor season starts. But in terms of development, it's very important. Firstly, it's easy to get sports halls, and so therefore to get the facilities, and it's a great way to start and to have your first experience of cricket indoor cricket is very fast it's very exciting very dynamic short games the ball is is, is a yellow indoor cricket ball which doesn't hurt as much as a, as, as a, a big red cricket ball so it's, it's it's a good way to start but a lot of our volunteers are active playing cricket in the summer season so they're out there playing for their teams and obviously that's that, that's you know a big part of their lives and then when the season is over the outdoor season over these people have got more time to actually go in the hall and coach women to coach um, children and a lot of the players who come through the system of basically had their first experience in a sports hall and it's a lot of fun I mean it is it, these games are so exciting you know you're getting maybe 10 teams together in a sports hall it's very good for mixing with people having a lot of very short fast dynamic games it's very very competitive so if indoor cricket is one way to potentially introduce the sport to new players we know that that huge wave of immigration was predominantly male to look at it from a women's perspective and the women's national team has performed quite admirably in international play. We saw them tour Oman where they were reasonably successful. What is the comparison to the women's game? Do they introduce themselves via the uh, indoor route as well? How How is the integration of, of women's participation going in Germany and how is it different in comparison to the men's? It's, it's completely different to the men's. Obviously, the numbers are not as big. And again, you have to realise where we've come from. You know, 10 years ago, there was, was next to no women's cricket in, in Germany. Uh, and this is proper development, what's taken place here. So probably from the national team, at least a half, probably two thirds picked up a cricket bat for the first time in Germany. Um, more than half of them are, we use that word again, indigenous Germans, and it has been proper development. The atmosphere around women's cricket and, and the women's national team is just spectacular. It's a lovely place to be around. The people are friends. They do it in the right spirit. They're very competitive, very ambitious, of course, but they do it um, in the right way. So we're very proud of it. And it's something that strategically looking forward for German cricket is something that we can see becoming a big thing in the future. Um, the women's team is 27 in the world at the moment, and it can only go up from here. It's it's, it's just a spectacular base. The one thing I would like is, is is for there to be maybe a little bit more, let's say, integration between the men and the women. At the moment, it is like two completely different sports, and there's not much crossover. But it's obviously it's easier here for for Germans to play cricket because they come and they play. It's it's not just such a foreign atmosphere for them, and there's lots of role models for them to follow. We'll have part two of our chat with Brian next week, but before we go, we have an update from Mexico's Craig White, and while action on the field has been affected by the COVID pandemic, it's been an opportunity to build the game in other ways. So we, well, we had to suspend our season in the middle of March, and we still really don't know when we're going to restart, but I think it'll be probably September, October. But in the meantime, We've used um, you know the downtime, as it were, to do a lot of like back office and infrastructure work. And one of those is uh, installing two new turf wickets in the Reform Athletic Club. We have one pitch at the moment, so we've taken the opportunity to install two new pitches side by side. 
so the pitchers can rest every other week. And it's just a quite a simple procedure, really. And uh, we first made a, a bed of gravel, and then we put sand on top. And then on top of that, we mixed a uh, soil clay sand with uh, with seed. And the pitch is all done now. We just have to let it rest and for the seed to sort of take root and the, and the grass to grow. As we said at the top of the pod, don't forget to subscribe to the Emerging Cricket Podcast, pass the pod around, and give us a five-star review. Want to support us financially? Go to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Emerging Cricket, where you can support us from as little as $2 US a month. In the meantime, from all of us here at Emerging Cricket, enjoy the rest of your day wherever you are around the cricketing world.